and thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. My name is Jonquil Newland. I'm the director of Kids Central TM. On this episode, we're going to be confronting what many of us may be experiencing when it comes to the impact of COVID-19 and our mental health, but as a community and as a society. Events such as COVID-19, the attack on the Capitol, and racial injustice can lead to collective trauma. Also, here in Tennessee, we've experienced a deadly tornadoes, multiple deadly tornadoes, and a bombing within a year. Collective trauma is the long-term psychological effects that are shared by a vast group of people. And to help explain this a little bit more in depth, I'd like to introduce Ingrid Cochran, who is the director of PACES Connection. PACES stands for Positive and Adverse Childhood Experiences. Ingrid, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we really kind of get started into our topic of this episode, I would love for our audience to get to know you just a little bit more. If you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about your your role with PACES. Yes, I'm the director of their um, cooperative of communities. And essentially what I do is I help grassroots movements and other ACEs initiatives um, work more efficiently and in a collaborative way. And um, this allows them for to them to be more effective in their work, to impact policy, and to really address the um, the consequences of adverse childhood experiences in their in their neighborhoods, in their cities, in their states. Absolutely, and I I do want to also point out, um, Paces was has somewhat. I don't know how recent actually, Ingrid, you could school me on that, but I know positive and negative adverse childhood experiences was, was added to the names because as much as there are adverse childhood experiences, um, there are also positive childhood experiences that help the brain develop as children grow as well. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Ingrid? Yes. Yeah, so um at least so far, the ACEs movement has really been focused on childhood trauma. And so really thinking about kind of a continuum um, of the spectrum of experiences is important because, of course, adversity has a negative impact. But the um, the impact of positive childhood experiences has been somewhat neglected. And positive childhood experiences has a ton of research behind it that shows that even if a child has experienced a high levels of adversity, then those positive childhood experiences are extremely protective uh, and help to promote uh, what we would call um, like post-traumatic growth. Great definition. Thank you so much for that. And, and speaking of definitions, I know a little earlier, I briefly gave one a, about collective trauma. Can you go a little deeper into that specific de- definition and explain how it can be uh, impacted by historical trauma as well? Yeah, so collective trauma is really, um, you know, what makes it different from when we experience trauma on an individual level is, you know, we as human beings have a very um, interconnected network. Our society is very dependent on the overall um, mental health of of us as a species. And so um, when we think about collective trauma, Um, You know, throughout our history, this has manifested in many ways. Obviously, a pandemic is one, but um, our world wars, um, any type of wide scale climate issue, like any type of natural disaster, 
Um, and also when we think about um, issues of slavery or the Holocaust or genocide, uh, these are all collective traumas. And what makes them most significant is the fact that um, it shatters our sense of collective safety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so trauma is very it's a very under-researched uh, area, even though it has kind of had a, a boom lately and it's definitely become a buzzword. Um, you know, traditionally, before we thought about trauma as a, a car wreck uh, or even more of a physical uh, thing, but now we're beginning to understand that trauma has real implications for individuals' mental health and physical health with the ACEs study. Uh, but then when we think about it on a collective level, it is a driver, it's a cultural force. And so a lot of our culture, a lot of our norms are built around collective traumas. And so in the way that they connect with our understanding of historical trauma is is very dynamic. So first, a collective trauma can become a historical trauma. So slavery, chattel slavery is a collective trauma, that collectively traumatic event uh, still impacts the descendants of, of slaves today. So it is, has become a historical trauma. The same with the Holocaust and genocide of uh, indigenous people. Mm-hmm. But another thing to, to consider is as we are going through a collective trauma presently with COVID-19, you'll find that those who have a history or have a um, already experienced historical trauma are going to be more impacted than others. Mm. So that would mean, and this is already playing out kind of in our, in our news. So um, one of the things that really stood out um, in this pandemic is the fact that um, African-Americans have a higher mortality rate. Mm -hmm. And so this is a reflection of a lot of um, issues, but it is definitely connected to uh, the historical trauma that the descendants of slaves here in America have experienced. So historical trauma has both uh, mental health implications, but also also physical health implications. So the stress and impact of chattel slavery has impacted African-Americans to the point where they have a higher susceptibility to chronic disease, which is another um, issue that is outlined in the ACEs study. Mm -hmm. So those underlying chronic conditions make um, African-Americans more susceptible to mortality if they um, contract the virus. And so this is how, this is one example of how people who experience historical trauma are particularly vulnerable during a collective trauma like COVID-19. Wonderful explanations, Ingrid. Thank you so much. And, and when you began to bring up just how, obviously, the, the collective trauma we're, we're living through now, my my thoughts went to an actual video I saw. I think I'm sure it was online somewhere, but it was of a, a young girl who had just turned one years old somewhat recently, but because she's only lived in a traumatic COVID era, everything she was going up to, she was touching as if it was hand sanitizer to rubber hands, hand sanitizer to rubber hands. It's just, it's, it was, it was cute, but also kind of really sad at the same time. You know, it was meant to be cute and silly, but like she's experiencing these, all these young, young folks were growing up. Um, the younger you are, the more like well, and I'm not a professional in that level, so I shouldn't speak to that, yeah. but it's just the younger you, you, they are, the more they're just enveloped in this. We all are enveloped in this collective trauma. Um, 
And it's, it's just, when you think about young children, Ingrid, what, what are your thoughts when it comes to their mental health, especially those extremely young, zero to three years old, who, how, how do you feel they're being impacted by the, by the pandemic? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, and it, it does really connect to this understanding that we have around trauma. Um, so again, trauma is a, is a real force when it comes to how we adapt and evolve as human beings. Um, and so obviously we are adapting and evolving all throughout our lifespan, but more so in those first six years, especially the first three years. Mm-hmm. And this is really due to the way that our brain develops. And so our experiences in those first three years of life and in the womb are extremely impactful because our brain is doing its most growth during this time. Uh, and so we, you know, sometimes we talk about the brain as a sponge. And so um, this is really the case in from zero to three. And so those early experiences really shape our understanding of the world, how we interact with the world and our environment and really impact our trajectory throughout life. Um, I do want to be clear, just because you experience trauma in in your early life does not mean automatically you are going to have these lifelong issues, but it does mean that those who are around you, so you're the adults in your space, are going to have to make sure that they buffer your experiences. So those traumatic experiences, COVID, we have to make sure that we find ways for children zero to three, zero to five to have um, positive experiences as a way to um, be a buffer against the high levels of stress that may be experiencing. And also we might not believe that children zero to three are experiencing stress as far as, as it pertains to COVID, but children are a little emotional thermometers. So they are you know, very aware of the stress that the adults around them are experiencing. They see the difference in patterns and they definitely can tell the difference in their, the adults around them, in their demeanor and in their interactions with them. And so um, it's very important during this time that we make sure that very young children are getting those positive childhood experiences. And also that we are um, making sure that, you know, we are doing things to physically relieve stress Um, in adults and children, like going outside and eating very healthy during this time as a way to combat um, kind of the environmental stressors that we're interacting with right now. Absolutely. Great advice as well. I do want to hop back a little bit more in what you were kind of mentioning earlier, Ingrid, in regards to historical trauma, specifically for communities of color. I know the last year has put an exclamation point on what so many have already believed when it comes just to racial injustice um, and things that surround that topic here. It's a historical trauma and it's happening right now and it's impacting a lot of people. What is your take on the events of the last few, few years, really? I know 2020 is kind of highlighted a lot of it since everyone was just at home and able to watch more often, but it's, it's been happening. Um, what, what is your take on that? And, and how do you, and do you believe more folks now are, I guess I should say, are a little bit more willing to have those a bit more difficult conversations in regards to race and equity? So the, this last year um, has been interesting when it comes to the issues of race Um, mainly because um, we have been 
I guess, sold a narrative that we are in a post-racial society, that racism no longer exists in the way that we that we perceive racism. And obviously this is not true. And 2020 did kind of um, illuminate that for a lot of people. But I will say that, you know, um, this is really just a reflection of a collective trauma mm. because we are already in a heightened sense of awareness due to uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, we are more, um, we're sitting still, we're paying more attention. Again, we have a more activated nervous system. And so this has just heightened our awareness of an already existing issue. Mm. I, I will say that... <laughs> When we look at the impact of the issues that happened in 2020, like um, police brutality and the kind of, you know, across the board civil unrest that we had in America, but not just around race, but also around, you know, the social political context of the time. So people, you you know, um, having issues with wearing masks or having a lot of conspiracy theories that really highlights America's distrust of the of the government. Uh, I think all of this is really opening our eyes to think through um, the ways in which we need to address all of our social issues to include race. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to race specifically, I do believe that people are more willing to have a conversation. I'm not sure about how willing people are to go beyond the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, people are more engaged in talking about issues of race and equity and what that what that looks like and what it means. But race and equity and all the things that go along with it are things that our nation has been grappling with for as long as we've been a nation. True. And we've made a lot of gains, but we've also let the issue of equity um, kind of fester. And so people think, you know, we kind of have jumped over, um, you know, we've, we've moved to equality and said basically kind of mission accomplished on the whole racism issue and we've moved to equality. Mm-hmm. But without having to really um, do the work of equity, which is about making amends, righting past wrongs, and that takes a lot of action that I'm not sure people in general are willing to do because it looks like increased effort, increased money uh, and, and increased attention and care to populations who have long been underserved. And that's not equality. That means that certain people are getting more because they they need more and have historically gotten less. And I think that we're not exactly ready to take action on equity. Very poignant observation. And thank you for speaking so freely about that. And it's it's something that I, I hope um, at least our listeners and, and more folks across Tennessee might be willing to to think about at least because I, I believe um, and completely agree with you that while, yes, I do see that more conversations are happening, I de- don't necessarily know if there's been any action of anything. Um, well, actually, I don't want to get up on a soapbox, so let me not do that. <laughs> I, I would love to ask you this question about socio-ecological model because I'm not very clear exactly what that means, but I know it can be used as a tool um, to help measure pretty much public health um, in general, but also hopefully in a post-pandemic world. What can you tell us about the socio-ecological model and, and how it may it be used here in Tennessee too? Yeah, so um, and social ecological model is really not just about public health. Uh, it's actually um, 
stems from a model that was um, created by Yuri Bronfenbrenner. And he was actually a child psychologist. And so that model is, is really about how people develop within systems and how you can't just look at the individual level um, or even the family level to look at how people develop and interact with the environment. And so what that means is that we have all these different spheres of influence. So an individual child within a family um, we can say certain things about what it means or what their trajectory is based on whether or not they're born into a family um, that's living in poverty or that has means, whether or not they're born um, with black or brown or white skin, um, you know, whether or not they're born male or female, all of these things um, really impact someone's um, development and how they view the world. And the reason why is because it has an impact on those other factors that we are impacted by. So, mm-hmm. you know, being born Black means I'm more likely to be born into a um, neighborhood that has less resources. Mm-hmm. Um, being born male means I'm more susceptible to parenting practices that are uh, facilitating uh, less empathy um, in when it comes to to women or uh, in general. Um, Being born um, white means that I may have more resources and more access to to quality healthcare. And so these things are what the social ecological model is talking about, how there are other factors that are societal that are uh, shaping the way that we develop based on these uh, social ecological factors like income and race and gender and geography. Um, You know, my life is going to be different if I'm born in a rural area versus a a suburban area versus an urban area. And what this really helps us to understand is that when it comes to social determinants of health or or ACEs for that matter, or PACEs for that matter. Uh, A lot of it is dependent on the larger views of the society. If if our society deems that people of color value less, um, you know, or not as worthy as uh, other communities, then I'm gonna live a different life based on the color of my skin. If our larger society believes that people who are wealthy are more important than people who are not, then I'm going to live a different life depending on how much money my family has. Mm. And so this is what the social ecological model is really about and how that, what that means for us as we are in a collective trauma. First, you know, when, when this pandemic first hit, people would say things like we're all in the boat together. And that's not true. We're not, at least we're not on the same type of boat. Some of mm-hmm. us are, are, you know, in, our, in isolation and luxury and others of us, we're not even able to isolate um, because um, we may not have the means to, or we have jobs that, you know, we're considered essential and things of that nature. Um, but also this collective trauma has highlighted those fault lines around race, around gender even, as we see that the majority of people who are losing income and becoming unemployed are women. 
and uh, obviously around social economic status as the wealthy are able to um, ensure that their children are still being educated during this time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some families are able to make sure that someone's home with kids as they're engaging in virtual learning and others can't do that. And so it's highlighting all of those issues that de- determine our, you know, our quality of life and our overall health and well-being. Uh, and this is with, embedded within this social ecological model. And as we think about what it means to recover, that's where the equity piece comes in. We're going to have to ensure that our recovery efforts are focused on those individuals, groups that have been underserved, which made it harder for them to um, stay afloat during this time. Great points. And, and I do, I want to just point out again, there there is a difference. We've been talking the word equity because it's it is not equality. And I know Ingrid, you you touched base on that a little bit uh, earlier, but equity and equality are not the same. And we 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 need to as a society try to work towards equity. Absolutely. Um and I uh, one last question for you, Ingrid. If folks mm-hmm. are listening to this to this episode and, and understand that yes, they they've been one of these people who are having these conversations or thinking about just what's been happening the last year and they want to do something different, but what can they do? What can happen? Like what would be your your advice to any Tennessean who's listening to this or any person really anywhere? um, And they want to do better, but just don't know really how to do better just yet. What would be your advice? Yeah. So, I mean, as we think about um, us as um, a state and how we need to care for each other, Um, It is really going to be a clear understanding that um, we are kind of in it together. Um, Just so happens that this collective trauma is a viral infection, Mm. a respiratory infection, which means that things like wearing a mask, you know, may actually save someone else's life or or cause them less pain. Um, And how we understand this process is really going to be about how we make meaning of self-sacrifice for the the greater good. Um, And we've had um, in the past, we've had as a country and as a state, we've had things that we've gone through where we had the type of leadership that really highlighted that, you know, that we have to do things um, as individuals for the greater good. And what does that sacrifice look like? And, not just Tennessee, but America as a, as a whole kind of didn't have that as we went through this collective trauma. And instead of that narrative being created from us from some type of authority, we have kind of fallen into tribalism, mm. which is us versus them. And I got to take care of myself or my own convenience or comfort trumps your uh, issues or problems you know, that you may have. And it is really... Uh, is it really a reflection of a lack of empathy? And so we have to, as Tennesseans, think about our fellow Tennesseans, because at the end of the day, we are kind of all in this together. Um, so as we have, you know, those who are susceptible to the virus, as we have people pass away, as we have unemployment, all of these things will impact all of us as a group. Um 
in in various ways. And so that would be the takeaway that that you you know maintain empathy for your fellow Tennessean, um, that you educate yourself and have a clear understanding of how you can, as an individual, do things that help us as a whole. Obviously, volunteering your time, um, especially around those essential issues like food banks or um, homeless um, populations, definitely um, families with young children, um, that's that should be your focus. But, you know, sometimes it's just making sure that the people that you're interacting with when you're out in the community, um, you know, see you as a fellow citizen and that you're having positive interactions with people. I mean, just saying hi and feeling connected is a lot right now. Absolutely. Uh, saying hi, feeling connected and a smile goes, well, I mean, unless you're wearing a mask. <laughs> but I was like, well, now that smile like, with your eyes, right? Smiles. There you go. Smile with your eyes. <laughs> um, all great words and, and great knowledge and great advice. So um, Ingrid, thank you. Thank you so much. I know this, these conversations are interesting to have. Um, and I hope, I hope our listeners are, are able to take away um, maybe just some food for thought, if nothing else, because um, as you mentioned a few times, this is something that we're all, all experiencing different things, but we're all experiencing something. And um, so we are kind of going through it all together, but uh, Ingrid, any, any last, uh, anything you want to say that I did not ask or anything that you wanted to leave for our, our listeners? Um, no, just take care of yourselves. Um, one of the, the, the implications of the collective traumas that we're all experiencing, what we would call allostatic load, which means it's kind of a wear and tear on our DNA or, or accelerated aging. Mm. Um, so take care of yourselves, eat well, get sleep, exercise. Absolutely. Great advice. <laughs> and I, at least since I can say I was, I have been eating really well. Um, and when I don't, I can feel it immediately, like immediately. <laughs> it's crazy. Like once you actually start eating really healthy and then you go, you have like a burger from McDonald's, you're like, Oh, just one burger. And I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have done that. Anyway, I digress. Um, uh, thank you, Ingrid, for, for being a guest on Roots and Wigs. And thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode. I'm John Will Newland. We'll see you next month. 